There were a series of short blessings and prayers that were prayed to the Savior in the early church. Each song evoked a name of God that was attributed to Jesus Christ. The name evoked in the song we consider today is Adonai. Christ is our Adonai. Welcome to the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship Church in Boise, Idaho. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and it's my great honor to bring God's Word to you today. To learn about the significant work that God has allowed us to participate in around the world in equipping evangelists, disciple makers, and church planters, go to traincpe.org. To find out more about our church in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. And now before the message, let me offer to you a reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. This second antiphon in the Latin, having if we translate into English, would read like this. O Adonai, the leader of the house of Israel, who appeared to Moses in the fire of the burning bush and gave him the law on Sinai, come and redeem us with an outstretched arm. That rough translation in the Latin of these seven antiphones in the 1800s was again translated, simplified, and put into the song that we sing during the Advent season, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. The line that is expressed or the stanza that expresses what we've just read here of this antiphone, the second antiphone in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is, O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to the tribes of Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe. Right? And so we sing that song and we'll sing it. We're building an anticipation. So in another few weeks, we'll be quite informed and quite blessed, I think, when we have the opportunity to sing this song together. When God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, he gave to Moses a name by which he was to be identified as Israel's God. And the name was Yahweh. It's the name that we have, I am that I am. The Hebrews would not pronounce that name Yahweh. It was considered to be such a holy name that in order to pronounce it or to pronounce it was to commit blasphemy. They didn't believe that it was possible that sinful individuals could safely pronounce the name Yahweh. It was four consonants and those four consonants together became known as the Tetragrammaton. And so they would not pronounce the Ketogrammaton. They refused to put between those consonants the vowels that would say those names. And so instead what they would do is they would replace the name Yahweh with the name Adonai, just a common name for Lord. And we're in the habit of doing the same thing. This Latin song that we just sang, it says, O Adonai, the leader of the house of Israel, who appeared to Moses in the fire in the burning bush. But we know that it wasn't Adonai that made himself known there, or that wasn't the name that was given. It was the name Yahweh. And so when we look at this and we think of this song, we're actually looking at it, you might say, through and understanding the Tetragrammaton. We're understanding that what's being brought to us is, and we are celebrating and singing the name of Yahweh, the God who's revealed himself. And as God was revealing himself to the people of Israel, he was making it known that he was reasserting his claim upon them as their God the God of the people of Israel, this slave nation in Egypt, 
and he was also reasserting to them that he was going to deliver them and take them out of their bondage. So God was giving a promise of deliverance and God was also asserting himself or reasserting himself in this unique covenant relationship that he had with the people of Israel and he gives to them this name as the name that identifies him in that role as deliverer and this role of establisher or the one who asserts his covenant over the people and the name is Yahweh. Yahweh means, well, it says here, I am that I am, or I be what I be. And it is actually a name that is expressive of God's eternity. It's expressive of his unchanging nature. It's expressive of his self-sufficiency and his self-existence. When we say I am, we have to put a modifier to it. There's no modifier to God. He modifies himself. He is all that he is. He is the great I am. He is sufficient in himself. He is existent within himself. He has existed throughout all eternity. He is unchanging in every way. He is the great I am. And at this burning bush, remember, God comes and he asserts his ownership or his claim that the people of Israel belong to him. In verse 7 of Exodus chapter 3, God says to Moses, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. For I know their sorrows. So God is holding out this promise of deliverance. And he's reaffirming this covenant relationship. This eternal, unchangeable, self-sustained, self-existent God who gives himself the name Yahweh. Gives the name of promise and relationship. I want to make a number of observations from this text and from other things that we're going to be considering. But we'll start at this text. And the first thing I want us to observe here is simply this. This self-sustained, self-existing, eternal God reveals himself in holy fire that inhabits the burning bush before Moses. As God is introducing himself, you might say, or reintroducing himself, it's not though this name was totally foreign to the people. Abraham had pronounced this name before. This name had been given to Noah as well, but now this name is introduced to the people of Israel, and as God gives this name and introduces himself, He introduces himself in a blazing flame of fire that's burning within this large tree or bush within the landscape, but not consuming it. And as Moses approaches this place, out of curiosity to see what it is, God speaks to him out of the bush. And what does he say? Moses, take off your sandals from your feet, for you are on holy ground. And so what God is doing in the fire is he is establishing his presence as a holy presence to be revered, to be feared among God's people. And from there, God will reveal that holy fire, that presence. He'll lead the people out of their slavery in Egypt in a pillar of fire, which we would call the Shekinah glory. And in that pillar of fire, it will come down between the people and the advancing armies of Egypt as they're seeking to destroy them. And it will be that pillar of fire that will sweep through and open wide the Red Sea and guard them as they come through the Red Sea. And eventually, it will be that same pillar of fire that will come down like a tornado on Mount Sinai and fill the people with such fear as God speaks from that cloud of fire that they cry out to Moses and say, don't let God speak to us again or we'll die. God gives a command to them from Mount Sinai that they're to put boundaries around the mountain and not come near this mountain that is roiling in the fire of God's Shekinah, God's holy fiery presence. Don't let anything living come upon the mount or else if they break through, they'll die. Later on, God gives instruction. They're on Mount Sinai. He gives instruction to Moses. 
on how to construct the tabernacle where God is going to make his presence known to the people. And after they're finishing constructing the tabernacle, what takes place as they're dedicating it? Fire comes down upon the altar in front of the tabernacle and consumes the sacrifice they've put there. And it comes down upon the holy place where God is to make himself known in the ark of the covenant that they had constructed as an expression of his presence. Then the nation of Israel began to worship in that place. And you also remember the story that there were two priests, the sons of Levi, that came and they brought fire to the altar to worship God, but they collected the fire from their cooking fires around their tents, which was not according to the instruction God gave because they were only to worship God with that holy fire from the altar that had been lit by his presence, his own holy presence. And when they came to offer up their sacrifices with this common fire, fire came out from the tabernacle, it says, and, and consumed them and they were destroyed. Actually, read the story of the nation of Israel. You'll see off and on that this fire reappears and it always fills the people with great terror. God is not to be toyed with. God is awesome and God is powerful and he makes himself known in this blaze of fire. And we're going to make another point about this fire that burned within that desert bush, but now let me go to a second point here. The second point is here. This self-existing eternal God condescends to identify himself among the tribes of men. This self-existing eternal God condescends to identify himself among the tribes of men. God says, I've seen the oppression of my people in Egypt, and he repeats this again, my people, that he is going to deliver. All of the nations had their own regions or territories, and within those territories, they had their own territorial gods. And these gods were their Elohims. They were the gods they worship. It's the same name that is used of the God of all creation when he identifies himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Elohim created the heavens and earth. And God declares himself to be the God of Israel. He's the Elohim of Israel. And it's as if God, in a sense, walks among the nations. And he sees that all the nations are choosing their own territorial God. And I say this with all reverence. But it's as if God says, I will accept this approach to the gods. And I will, in a sense, throw my hat into the ring to be a God among a people myself. And I'll choose a people for myself that I will be the God to. The Egyptians have their gods and the Amorites have their gods and the Jebusites have their gods and I'll be a God. I'll be a God among a certain people as well. And I'll choose a nation of slaves. I'll choose the weakest tribe among men and I'll be their God. And God comes in this way. It's a profound expression of God's condescension as in a sense he is making himself known fully to the nations that he chooses to make himself known, you might say, as one of these territorial gods. One of these gods that is picked among the various nations, but in this case, instead of him being chosen by the Egyptians or the Jebusites, he chooses the people that will be his. It'll be the Jews, these slaves. I'll make them my people and I'll be their God. It's a wonderful expression in my mind of this horrible, awesome, fiery, holy God who, in a sense, for the sake of being known by men, contracts himself to appear as a God and be a God for one small band of people and to be among them, as we say, within the tents and the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and there to make himself known. And yet we know that God is doing something wonderful. God is condescending because this is the God who blazed on Mount Sinai. This is the God who led them forward through the Red Sea and destroyed the Egyptian army. And this is the same God whose holy indignation is cast against the various gods of Egypt and systematically defeats one after the other. Every single one of the plagues in Egypt. 
is a plague that is directed towards the power of a various god that reigned or was worshipped in Egypt. And God defeats each one of them as he begins to deliver them until he takes them out of the land of Egypt to demonstrate that he's the God of gods and the Lord of lords. Yet he comes to this in this condescending fashion in order that he might be among them. And at the same time that this is a tremendous condescension of God, what a tremendous exaltation for the Jews. The God who has pledged himself to them is the God of gods. He's the creator of all being. He's the Lord of all. He's the great I am. He is the God whose name is fearful and unspeakable. He's the God of the tetragrammaton that you cannot even say, who is self-sustained and self-existent, who comes before and after all things. The powerful, the only all-powerful God has come among them to be their rescuer and to bind himself to them in covenant relationship with the name Yahweh. I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful expression. Here's a, a third observation. And now we go back to that fire that's in the bush. Moses met before this fire as he was out tending a flock, working as a shepherd. It's an interesting thing when you read through the scriptures. You'll see the image of a shepherd repeated. And although some of them may just be incidental, and some of them may cast our image just towards some expression of leadership, there's something about it that's reflecting a broader truth that I want you to see here. That's true of God himself and how God reveals himself. And here, as Moses is tending the flock, he sees this fire and he comes before this fire. And this is our third observation. The fire that was burning in that bush revealed that this holy, fiery God is tender with his own people. Thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. We'd love to hear from you. Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links to send us a message of encouragement or a prayer request. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.